It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of the Rural Report podcast in association with the Southern Community Soup Kitchen. It's Gav back again this week after what has been, well, an incredibly eventful few days. Let's just put it out that. Uh, as we record this, it's the day after the Fulham game. So with a busy few days potentially ahead in the transfer market, we thought we'd bring an old friend along for a chinwag. Delighted to be joined by Tom White, who is, of course, a massive Lads fan. Most of you will know he hosts... Uh, Good morning, transfers and transfer talk on Sky Sports News. Morning, mate. How are you doing? Very well, thanks. How are you? I'm brilliant. Tip top. I mean, we drew 1-1 yesterday. And if I'd just said that to any random football fan, oh yeah, we drew 1-1 with Fulham yesterday, they might be thinking, well, why are you so relentlessly positive? But it was brilliant, wasn't it? Were you there? No, it, I wasn't there. I had two tickets, but a bit of a, a childcare issue, which, oh, uh, which, which ruined that. But it was actually quite interesting for me because... I don't tend to get to listen to games on radio very often, Sunderland mm. games, because I'm either there or able to watch it at work or, or what have you. And actually, let's be honest, we're on TV a lot this, this season as well, <laughs> yeah. which is which is quite nice in a way. Media I know, darlings, ways, I think. The... Yeah, ex- exactly. And it's to being able to listen to, I listen to some of it on uh, with Nick Barnes and, and Gary Bennett, and I listened to some of it on Five Live with Don Hutchison as the um, pundit. Had Soccer Saturday on as well. Uh, with Tim Sherwood watching the game. And it was quite a nice experience for me to listen to what all of them were saying. I felt fair enough, Nick and, and Gary Bennett watches every week. But listening to to Don Hutchison and Tim Sherwood talking about us, the amount of praise that we were getting. And remember, like you said, we only drew. We're not into the net. We're in the draw for the next round. We're not into the next round yet. That is incredibly positive, the things that they were saying. So for me, it was actually quite a nice experience, but I would have preferred to have been there. It's like back in the days, and I used to sit in the kitchen with my dad with a radio on. I'm on about like, you know, oh, Jesus, made myself feel like 20 odd year ago. And uh, it was nice. I, I've done that before, actually, where I've been in the car. And it's, it's a different experience, isn't it? You get more engrossed, I find. You know, you haven't got the distraction of the phone, your phone in your hand or talking to your mates about the game. You're just, you're just listening to what the commentators are saying. It's pretty cool. Remember the game in the rain, the 2-1 again, away at Newcastle, mm-hmm. the, mm-hmm. the, the 2-1, I think. Uh, yeah. Kieran Dyer scored first. And then Quinn and Phillips, uh, pretty sh- certain that one. I remember listening to that exactly like you said with my mum and dad in the kitchen, and like it's, it's actually a memory you'll never forget, even though, even though I wasn't there, which is which is rare for me in a derby. But it, it was quite nice yesterday. But mainly listening to what people who don't see us very often 
are starting to see what we see every week lately. Yeah, that 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 was the big thing for me. It, it, like we've seen this version of Sunland for months now, but yesterday it did feel like a bit of there was a bit of a sea change. I just think recently it just feels as though people are starting to turn up and and that that Sunland in a lot of people's minds and I think, you know, maybe the the Netflix series and the fact people just know we were in League 1 for 4 years. Maybe that's clouded the judgment of us as a club, but I don't think a lot of people, until recently, realised just the direction we're taking as a club. And then you, you know, I mean, I'd, I watched the uh, the highlight show that they did match of the day last night. Sunderland first game on, and they made a big deal out of Chris Rigg. Obviously, we'll get onto that. But I think people are starting to see now, like Sunderland are a proper club again with a really, really exciting blueprint for how to push forward in the future. Well, the, the commentator on Five Live actually said um, towards the end of the game, he said, if this does end up going to a replay, he kind of gave an on-air message, live on-air message to the producers saying, you've got to make sure this one's televised <laughs> because if the replay is anything like this game at Craven Cottage, it's well worth putting on TV. So that And, that, and that's someone who won't have seen us this season because they'll mm. probably only do Premier League games and, and the odd FA Cup game, which wouldn't have been us until yesterday. Um, but I think people are seeing, first of all, when they watch us play, they're seeing our style of play and it's very, very exciting. And they're seeing all these players who they probably didn't even know their names. Yeah. And and they're seeing them play and think, well, where, where's that player come from? And then mm. they'll look it up and think, how, how have they managed to find him? And suddenly everything about us is getting praised. The, on the pitch, we're getting praised for the style of play. Our performances and, and results have, have been pretty good. And also off the field, it seems like our recruitment's getting praised, which we haven't had since probably, well, it was praised under Peter Reid, but there were a lot of duds there as well. I can't ever remember a time like this, Tom, no, if I'm honest. I, I don't know. I mean, Sam Allardyce had one brilliant transfer window. That's the only transfer window he was actually properly our manager. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. And, that was, and that, was, that was one window and that was on established players. This is very different, isn't it? This is very, very, very different. Yeah. Yeah, very much so, and and it's at the moment it it deserves praise because so far these players are showing a lot of potential, and they're realizing their potential because they're give, being given a chance to. Yeah, what what do you think's changed then? Because I, I keep trying to put my finger on this. I think I'm coming more to the realization that Tony Mowbray has been a massive influence just on the 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 little tweaks we've had to make to go from being a decent side with young players to a one where. It's it's not just about the team on the pitch. It's about it's actually more about the environment that the manager's created to allow players like like a fifteen year old Chris Rigg to just come off the bench and not look phased whatsoever. Like, what do you think's changed? Well, I think he's obviously saying to these players, and the vast majority of the squad are very young. He's saying, right, what are you good at? Go and do it. Go and prove it. All right, and giving them some freedom. He's probably saying, don't worry if you have a bad game. You might even, you know, I'll, I'll try to give you a run in the side. That's not always possible because sometimes somebody comes in just because there's a, a one-match suspension or a niggling injury and they don't get that run of games. But in general, players are coming in and getting a chance to show what they can do. Remember that Diallo had to wait for his chance and he yeah. got his chance, couldn't get him out the side. He even like toyed with different formations to make sure he was playing. And and, and Michu might, might now get his chance in the side. As soon as he came in, he said that, Dan Neal, I'm picking you and I'm going to keep picking you. And that's what he did. Look how much he has improved. He was already very good. And now he's improved. 
But what you said there about the mentality, I do think that what Mowbray does is give them the freedom to do that. And it was interesting, I think um, it was mentioned on, on this podcast last week that when Luke O'Neill was, um, did some co-commentary on the Middlesbrough game, he said that the forward players are allowed to just go and play. They're not really coached. Now, that's nothing new, all right? If you go back to, to Allardyce, who everyone knows I'm his biggest fan, what he always said was, I'll get the defence right, okay? The midfielders are part of that defensive unit as well. But the forwards, they can just go and do what they like. They can show some flair. They can play with the freedom. But this is the big difference between then and now. Under Allardyce, regardless of what formation he played, there were three forwards, a striker and two playing off. Right? Yeah. Whether that was in a in a five at the back or as a 4-3-3, which ended up keeping us up, where you had a striker and two kind of wingers, right? So you had Defoe up front and on the wing you had either Barini and Watmore and, and, and Kasri. You had two, two of those three were playing and they were the ones who were told, just go and play. If you notice in Mowbray's formation, his preferred formation is a 4-2-3-1, now, that's a striker and three behind the striker. That's four attacking players who are allowed to just go and play. And that makes for a far more enjoyable spectacle, I will say. But also, it's just it, it's one more attacker for a defender yeah, or, or defensive midfielder. And if he is putting in a formation like that and saying to the players, just go and play, four of them out of 10 outfield players, that is more than most managers would do. And that is having a huge, huge difference. It's interesting when you hear him talk about players in general, when he mentions how he, he likes players who play forward. And for me, that that was one of the big bugbears of being in League One, was that a lot of the time, while we had better players than some of the other teams, we didn't always have the confidence to play forward and to get at teams. You know, I'm not, I'm not picking on Max Power, but you know, he was one player who it really used to frustrate me with him because he used to like to go side to side and backwards and that's almost a, you know, going backwards is almost like a dirty phrase in this current setup. You know, you don't go backwards, you look up, you look forward, you try to play your attacking players in your more creative players and everybody knows their job. And that is why going into this game, when I, when I spoke to Chris on the preview show, we were talking about how we were so confident of just being able to go to Fulham and do exactly what we do every week in the championship and it doesn't matter that they're a good Premier League team because we're just so confident in our own ability to play football. And that's what we saw. We saw a team who are so confident right now and are playing some of the best stuff. I mean, I I might have got a little bit carried away, but I might it might do I stand by it? I think this probably is the best football I've seen Sunderland play, to be honest. In terms of just going watching a game of football and watching eleven players who just do everything right. Like there's no I'm not watching Sunderland now and thinking this is this is boring or we don't look very confident. We're going and we're trying to play football against every team that we play. And it's not just passing for the sake of it. It's actually trying to carve teams open and create chances and score goals. Where where does it rank in your list of your favourite Sunderland teams, the best sort of style of football and stuff? Well, we'll have to do it over a more sustained period of time before I say yeah. it's the best, but I know exactly what you mean. And when, when you see us in quite a few games lately... Ever since, really, we came back, well, we came back during the World Cup, didn't we, with that Millwall mm. game. We're, we're playing some beautiful football. I think part of that is that those kind of front four, let's call them that, is that the rest of the players know that if they get the ball to them, something could happen. Yeah. Give it to Clark, Diallo, Roberts and Stewart until now, really. Um, they know 
that and before that Sims as well. If they get the ball up there, that's where we want the ball. We don't actually want the ball in the middle of the pitch. We want it up there because they can do so much damage. So it comes from that. The way we're playing is like is as a Sunderland fan, mind blowing, because I don't really expect to see us play like this. And if you think of under Peter Reid when it was four four two, with wingers who would just be getting the ball to Quinn and Phillips, and we always had a more attacking central midfielder in there as well, alongside probably Kevin Ball. It was it was really good football, good to watch. It was quick, it was direct, and we loved it. Now I can I can relate to that as a Sunderland fan, but this these little intricate passes and the, the the movement of Diallo and Roberts and that understanding they have, I've never seen that before. No, for us anyway, and I've actually not seen it for that many teams, no. that many teams at all. If if we were if we were playing in the Champions League now, everyone would be praising us for the way we play. And normally that wouldn't work in the championship. It wouldn't even work in the Premier League. It's it, you've, you've got to be at the very, very top for this to work. And at the moment, it is actually touch wood working for us. We, we know we're not top of the league. We're not even in the playoffs at the moment. And like I said, we're not actually in the fifth round of the FA Cup yet. But for us, who are not used to this, it is a joy to watch. And I'm someone who, my favourite style of football is when, like I was saying earlier, where the defence is solid, the midfield protect the defence, and then you go and maybe hit them on the break because you've got a good front three, mm. right? That's my favourite type of, of football. But I'm actually fast being um, having my arm twisted <laughs> to uh, <laughs> having seen us the last few weeks because I'm really, really enjoying watching us at the moment. One of the other things I really like about this team is that Players you wouldn't traditionally associate with working hard off the ball, high pressing, you know, doing the dirty work. Mowbray's actually got them doing it too. I mean, the big one for me the last few weeks has been Edouard Michou. Borough game, he was running around like a madman, winning tackles and and winning second balls. And I've never seen him do that since he came in. And then uh, again against Fulham, you know, Jack Clark for the goal. It's a really good bit of play from him, but, you know, it, it's determination, it's hard work, it's pressing. And that's the reason we score that goal because he pressed a player who looked like they were a little bit too comfortable on the ball. And that's the other side of it as well. Mowbray's got the players doing that. You know, you, you expect yeah. that from you expect that from, you know, Dan Ballard and maybe Corey Evans, Alex Pritchard, those type of players, but you don't necessarily expect it from even da- to be honest, until recently, Dan Neal, Edouard Michou, like say Jack Clark, Patrick Roberts, total flair player, but he's off the ball works fantastic. And that can't be a coincidence. No, and, and just don't, in all of this, and I know we won't, but don't forget the defenders as well. I mean, Danny Bath, like, he's been very, very solid. And Dan Ballard looks like, he just he reads the game so well. He always just seems to be in the right place. Yeah, as he, as he was in there at Fulham on the line. Right, yeah. yeah, brilliant. yeah, yeah. That, that, was, that was quite incredible. We actually got a little bit of luck there because of obviously the deflection went into, into Patterson. But he was there. He, he just always knows where to be. He looks quite effortless. Yeah. And they're the best type of centre-backs. He reads the game so well, and that's natural. That hasn't come from coach. I mean, Tony Mowbray was a very good centre-back, but Ballard's obviously just got that naturally, and he's brilliant. And, and if you look at Trey Hume at full-back, he's had a lot of praise recently, playing very, very well. Before that, Gooch was getting praise at right-back and at left-back. We didn't think we could possibly do without Danis Serkin. Now, Agilise came in and, and didn't give up his place. So it, it really is every single department, and Anthony Patterson... He was getting the most 
from the commentators yesterday on Five Live, he got the most praise out of anyone, by the yeah, way. Yeah, yeah. It wasn't like Diallo or anything like that. It was Patterson that got all the praise. Mm-hmm. So every single player is doing their jobs and doing it very well. Yeah, and Patterson's one who I think, and Jack Clark actually, Patterson, probably Patterson and Jack Clark are the two in recent weeks who, while we've played really well, I think, you know, they've, they've maybe went through a difficult little period. Not, not saying they've played particularly badly or anything, but if you were to sort of highlight anybody as who was having a rough patch, it might have been those two. They really needed that performance because, I mean, Clark's goal, he, he's got that in his locker. We've seen him do it. I think that's his fifth goal this season. He is a good finisher when he gets the chances and that's the key now building forward for, for him, for Mowbray, is to say to Jack, look, You've got the most assists of anyone in the team this season. You can score goals. Let's see it more consistently because he'll go three or four games without doing that. And I think if he builds up that consistency, he could be a real top player. And then you run about Anthony Patterson there. So, I mean, as a shot stopper, he's, he's unbelievable. And Mowbray's praise of him after the game, actually, I really enjoyed reading that, where he talked about how, you know, Patterson's mentality is unlike most goalkeepers he's ever met because he's just so calm and nothing phases him ever. So, you know, normally goalkeepers are quite erratic and hot-headed and says nothing phases this kid. Nothing, you know, you can you can ask him to do anything and he and it doesn't phase him whatsoever. Again, all adds to the wider project with this team and all feeds into this, you know, really positive mentality that we seem to have in this group. Yeah, definitely. And, and I, th- I think Patterson has been really... This time last year, I, I thought that he was would be our third-choice goalkeeper and Alex Neal put him in and again, took his chance and he's never looked like giving it up, that number one spot. I think he's been fantastic and I can understand the comparisons to Pickford in the fact that he's come through as a local lad, come through the academy and he looks a real talent. But Pickford was built up. We knew that Pickford was going to be that. Everyone had heard of how good Pickford was. Patterson didn't get that kind of praise, but that's because we were in League One, not the Premier League at the time. Mm Mm-hmm. And I think he is built, he's just getting better and better all the time. As for Jack Clark, I actually don't think his form dipped that much. I think it's just that his um our expectations of him are very high. I think it also doesn't help that he plays left wing, but sometimes we'll be forced to change the formation. He plays left wing back, which is very different. And for a spell, he was playing as a striker. I don't think that's helped him. Even yesterday, he had to move sort of more centrally. It was tough for him. Yeah, and, and and there you go. And he, I actually think that he hasn't played badly at all. I think it's just that his standards are so high, which is is no bad thing. Yeah, that probably segues us a little bit into um into the Ross. I didn't really want to talk about this, but Ross Stewart. So he's likely to be out for the season. It looks, you know, pretty bad injury, Achilles tendon tear. I mean, I know Tony Mowbray had said that after a scan we'll know more, but Achilles tears are usually. You know, they're right up there with ACL injuries, really. They can be pretty lengthy spells out on the side. Uh, what was your initial feelings, thoughts, when you when you realised that Ross Stewart was probably going to be out for a while? Um, praying that actually <laughs> that he, he won't be out uh, for a while. But it, it does look like he will be by the, by the time this podcast goes out. We'll, we'll probably know, to be yeah, honest, or yeah. be very, very close to knowing. I think at this stage, we can assume he won't play again this season. Let's hope he is still back for the start of next season, of course, for... And hopefully it's in the Sunderland shirt, by the way. With him out for the season, I think immediately after start thinking, right, well, how do we replace him? Yeah. Okay. And this is this is the thing. We have been short of a striker. We all felt we were. And if you listen to what Christian Speakman said, and he, he's 
getting a heck of a lot of praise and completely deserves it, him. And, and I think Dave Jones has been very much part of this as well. Their recruitment has been superb ever since they came in, really. The one criticism that they've had this season is that we were short up front, which was proven when both Stewart and Sims got injured. Now, Christian Speakman has always said, well, hold on, Diallo can play there and they see Diaku as a striker. So if you take those four that I've just mentioned there, Stuart, Sims, Diaku, Diallo. Now, Diallo, we know, is too dangerous on either the wing or number 10. You can't have put him up front because that's a waste. Okay, yes. So take that out. That still leaves three. We only play with one striker and two, two or three off the striker. Okay, That means you only need three strikers. Fair enough. I know as fans, we weren't convinced Diaku was a striker. Doesn't matter. He's gone now. Okay, That would leave Stuart and Sims. Sims has gone, and now Ross Stewart's injured. Now, Diaku's been replaced by Gelhardt, so we've got one there. They are waiting on Ellis Sims coming back, hoping that he'll come back. That would leave two. Now, two wasn't enough at the start of the season, so I still think that we need another. Now, this Lee Hadji, Lee Hadji, Lee Hadji, Lee Hadji, <laughs> uh, I don't know whether they see him, like Diaku, as someone who can play up front as well as on the wing, and I can't say I know much about him at all. Maybe they see him as a, as, a, as a striker, but that would be dangerous if his natural position is as a winger. So I still think we need... So we've got Gelhard. I still think, even if Sims comes back, I still think we need to be looking at one more. Now, as we're waiting for Sims to make his decision, and I don't know who, but there will be someone, there will be a striker that we're just waiting to pull the trigger on and sign in case Sims doesn't come. Once we find out about Ross Stewart, which is probably going to be the day before deadline day, maybe even on deadline day, if he is out for the season, I think they need to pull the trigger on whoever is the backup for Ellis Sims not coming back and then still hope that Ellis Sims comes back. That would leave us Gelhardt, Sims and one other. Mm-hmm. And by the way, in my opinion, that would be fine. Yeah. But I do think at the moment there will be a little bit, there'll be no panic in the recruitment team because they've planned for everything. All yeah. right. And it was a... Um, it was real bad luck that both Stuart and Sims got injured at the same time. And yes, I know under Alex Neal, they were playing together, which meant that we were definitely short in that regard. And I know all of that. I understand all of that. I agree with all of that. But right now, I think if we have Gelhart, Sims and one other, we are absolutely fine. And if Sims doesn't come back, I actually think we need Gelhart and two others. I wonder with this, you know, the way that we we are trying to operate now, with especially with recruitment and stuff, they'll you would like I would like to think that part of their sort of scouting and forming their discussions has been, you know, eventually at some point we could be in a situation where we have to replace Ross Stewart, and this might just push that process forward a little bit. They've probably got their eye on players they think could replace him. Um, so I know what you're saying about Sims in in particular as somebody we might bring back, and if that didn't come off, then we would have other options. But that. I do wonder whether they've also been looking at Ross Stewart replacements anyways, because they were probably gearing for, well, maybe not gearing's a word, but they have to expect that we were going to maybe receive some interest in them this window. And if we were made an offer we couldn't refuse, we would have to replace them. So does it push that process forward? Does that Do we then look at it and we go, right, Ross Stewart's out for the season. We need to basically act as though he's not here. We need an actual replacement through the door. Or do they just think short term and go, we'll just bring in a loan and we'll see where we're at in the summer? 
Well, we've got we've we've got enough space for loans because you can own you're only allowed five in your match day squad. We've got Diallo, Michu, Gelhart. Even if Sims comes back, that's four. Am I missing one? Am I missing one loanee? I think that's it, isn't it? Mm, so there, I think so. Yeah. There, w- there would be room for one more. In, I mean, you can have loads in your squad, but match day squad you can only have five, so there'd be room for a loan. As to whether it would be Stewart's replacement, I would imagine that to replace Stewart with whoever they were planning to replace Stewart with. I think that would be dependent on how much money we got for Stuart. Yeah. And we haven't sold him. He's injured. So there's no money in there. So I think what we'll be doing is we'll keep going for Sims. That'll be up to Sean Deitch. And he might might not even know yet. And the Stuart replacement till the end of the season will be whoever was going to be Sims' replacement. That's what I would imagine to happen, as opposed to bringing in um, someone who might cost a decent transfer fee. It's very tough to replace Ross Stewart, though, isn't it? Properly, because I I can't think of many strikers out there who do everything he does. So it might be a case of that, you know, we just have to accept we're going to have to change the way we play a little bit, because he's a, I mean, he's, a, he's very unique. I can't remember ever remember a Sunderland striker like Ross Stewart, somebody who is six foot four, strong, quick, scores goals, works harder than anybody else on the pitch. They just those players don't grow on trees, but there are good strikers out there. And you just maybe it's a case of you look at it and you go, we just have to change the way we play, and it's maybe just a little tweak, but you get on with it, don't you? When I was saying about how people from outside of Sunderland are now starting to notice how good we are and how how good our players are, one thing that people notice straight away, like I didn't realise how quick Ross Stewart was. Ross Stewart is lightning, but mm-hmm. just because he's like six foot four and and you know he, he looks. He doesn't look like he'd be quick. Let's be honest. No, right. And he and he is lightning. That's what surprises everybody. Uh, and and I can't think of a, a like for like replacement for him. Sims and him were, were relatively similar. Relatively similar. Not 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 exactly the same. Gelhart very very different. I've I've noticed. I've actually seen. Thing is, when we sign a player now, I'm sure you're the same. Sometimes I've I've barely heard of them, mm-hmm. and I don't really know what. To, Oh, I might have heard of them, but I don't know, even know what type of player they are. You know, like with, with Equa, I didn't know what type of... I knew he was a midfielder. Didn't know what type of midfielder they were. Exactly the same with Abdullah Bar. Didn't know what type of midfielder they were. Michu, I thought, was an attacking midfielder like Pritchard or Embleton. But he's playing when Corey Evans doesn't play. Yeah. You see? With Gelhart, I actually know all about him. I've seen lots of Gelhart. And a comparison that I keep hearing is that he's similar to Wayne Rooney. Yeah, in his I was going to say play. that. Yeah. Now, he's not going to be England's record goal scorer, right? Very unlikely to be. But if you look at his technique, the way he runs, um, his, just his style of play, there are actually similarities there, you know. And, you know, they're, they're both scousers as well, aren't they? But that's, yeah. that's by the by. As a player, there actually are similarities with Rooney. And Rooney was a brilliant striker, but he would constantly be dropping off you know, and Gelhart, rather than dropping off in the kind of midfield as Rooney used to do, Gelhart drifts wide. Yeah. So he's not kind of, so you're right, he won't be a Stuart replacement, but this, he is very, very exciting. And he'll go straight into the side. He'll start against Millwall, no doubt at all, right? And he might never, ever give up his place. This is the issue that everybody knows is if he gets injured, yeah. who is there to replace him. And that's what we need to do between now and Tuesday night is replace Sims, hopefully with Sims. But if not, he needs to be replaced. And I do think we are going to have to replace Stuart now. Are you confident we'll do it? 
Because I, I am. I'm, I'm, I've got a lot of confidence in this team, of recruitment team, that is. Yes, I think, I think we will, especially now that, now that Diaku is gone. And that Diaku, we now know that he was in the squad, not as a winger, but as a striker, you know, someone who could play both. I now think that he will be replaced. I don't think we'll be spending a lot of money on Stewart's replacement because it is only short term. And Sims would only be alone anyway. Well, unless uh, hey, unless we can convince Everton to sell him, even better. I do think that we will bring in two strikers, and I'm very, very hopeful, fairly confident that Sims will be one of them as well. Because Deitch, Deitch hasn't taken that Everton job to rely on Ellis Sims. No, we know how good he is, but Everton don't. And I think that he's taken that job and been given the green light to sign a striker. You just touched on something there and I was going to ask about it, but yeah, Sims is a permanent option. I think that would make a lot of sense now. It maybe didn't before yesterday's game, but right now I think it does make a lot of sense. To be honest, for him as well, like, you know, you, you look at how this sort of month's played out for Sims at Everton. He's barely played. He's been embroiled in all that carry-on outside the ground when he's been leaving games and people have been sort of giving him a bit of stick and he's probably wondering what the hell they're going on about because he's not even been there. You know, he, if, if you're him, you must be thinking, God, I had it so good at Sunderland. I was playing, I was scoring goals. It was a nice, happy environment. The fans were all happy. I had a nice coach there who who tret as well and, and gave us plenty of encouragement. It might actually be the making of Ellis Sims that he's gone away for a month or so, seen what the... The grass is like on the other side. It's not, not as green as it is in Sunland. And, you know, maybe you might think, I need a fresh start. I need to move away from Everton. I just need to establish myself somewhere now. Yeah, I'd, I'd be surprised if Sims rejected us. I think the, the issue would be how much would he cost? And we are very good at getting the right deals for the club at the moment and adding, adding sell-ons and such like. But Everton know how much we rate him. So... Well, I don't know if he actually came through the Everton Academy, but he's you know he's he's been there a long, long time, and they know that if we want him that much, we'll have to pay, and that might be the stumbling block on a permanent deal. Um, because if you think when we had Barini on loan, no one really rated him apart from us. So Liverpool were able to say, right, if you want him, he's going to cost fourteen million. Mm-hmm. Well, to everyone else, he was worth significantly less than that. Uh, same when when we wanted um, when we had Johnny Evans. We tried, Roy Keane tried so hard to sign Johnny Evans, but Manchester United were like, funny enough, again, £14 million. If you want to sign him £14 million, whereas no one else saw him as £14 million. At the moment, we're the only ones who really, really rate Ellis Sims. So I think getting a permanent transfer fee agreed would be more difficult. Getting Everton to let him go on loan, as long as they sign a striker, I think would be actually quite straightforward. But getting a fee agreed, I think would be significantly harder yeah speaking of Everton we've um, apparently by the time this pod goes out we might have signed him um, but we've apparently had a bid accepted for Joseph Anderson who's a another player that you've just said there never heard of him <laughs> 21 year old he's only ever played for the 21s I think he's a captain I think he's the under 21s captain at Everton another player I've not really heard of but it does make you wonder what's going on in terms of outgoings as well because Bailey Wright's been linked with a move away what do you make of all of that sort of you know bringing in a young player and maybe letting one with experience go? Yeah, so well, there's two two things that could happen with that one. If, if he comes in, we might be saying, right, come in, settle for six months, and then you will replace Bailey Wright in the summer because Bailey Wright's contract is up. He doesn't play that much. I really, really like him. He was last. He was so important in getting us up last season. But he, he, he knows this season he is a backup. I mean, Luke O'Neill was playing central defence when, when he was in the squad as central midfielder at the start of the season 
ahead of him. So that could happen. Or it might be a case of, right, come now and we'll let Bailey Wright go. But ultimately, if if this guy does sign, which like I said, at time of recording this, he hasn't yet. If he does, he will be a Bailey Wright replacement. It just depends whether it's now or whether it's in the summer. Do you think we need a centre-half? Are you, is it a desperate position to fill? Well, in, interestingly, the only position that I um, that I think that we need to be really active in is, is striker. Because yeah. in, if, I'll, I'll very quickly go through it. In goal, Pat, Patterson and Bass, right? Patterson has proved that he's number one. If we signed in, if we signed another goalkeeper, if, if, if we were being greedy, we'd sign another goalkeeper who could potentially push Patterson a little bit harder than Bass has, all right? Um, but at the moment, I don't see any reason to do that. There's Patterson and Bass. So goalkeeper, absolutely fine. Young Jacob Carney as well. We've not seen very much of him at all. But there is still three goalkeepers. Because I don't think Carney's gone out alone, has he? No, he's, no, he's still there, yeah. So I wouldn't waste wages there, all right? Right back, you've got Hume, who's been brilliant. Gooch has played very well at right back. And there's also Niall Huggins is fit. Huggins, I actually thought might go out on loan. But it's Huggins. Left back, Sirkin and Lise have been brilliant. And again, Huggins is both footed. He can play both sides, okay? So we're covered there. Centre-back, which is what you asked me about. Danny Bath, Dan Ballard, can't praise those two enough. Luke O'Neill, who I thought was a central midfielder at the start of the season, has come back into centre-back and has been excellent. So there's three. And then you've got Bailey Wright. I'm not missing one, am I? Elise can play there, of course. It's it's weird, isn't it? Because we've got players who can play a number of roles. But yeah, Elise, yeah. Elise maybe... We haven't, I don't think we've really seen him in a two very often, but when we're playing a back three... You know, yeah, if exactly. So if, if if Anderson comes in and Wright goes, you know, that's fine. So basically don't let Wright go unless someone's coming in. And that would be the case here. And that would, I would believe us to be well stocked at centre-back. At the start of the season, I thought we had far too many central midfielders. But O'Neill, like I said, moved into centre-back. So, so we lost one there from, from that position. Um, Matete's gone out on loan. Who I love Matete, actually. I'm with you there. I think I think oh, I, I think him. we've had this conversation on a podcast before. Yeah, we, we have. <laughs> we both we love have, him. I'm good he's gone out on loan, but I do sort of understand it. Yeah, well, I just hope he comes back in the summer and we don't sell him. But uh, we'll we'll see what happens. Um, elsewhere in central midfield, uh, Michu and Barr, who are starting to play a little bit more. Uh, Pritchard's been injured. Embleton, we don't know if we'll see him again this season. I don't know if they've put a time scale on him coming back. So actually, in midfield, we looked a little bit light. Now Evans is injured, but we have brought in Equa. Um, and remember that O'Neill can go back into central midfield if needed. So central midfield, we might still need a cover for Evans, but is Equa that cover? So maybe central midfield, but I'm not that worried about it. On the wing, we've got Diallo, well, wing stroke number 10, there's Diallo, um, Clark, Roberts, uh, Bennett, and now Lehaji. So we're fine on the wings. It's just up front. So yeah. when you say, do we need a centre-back? If Bailey Wright goes, yes, but that would be Anderson. I actually really relaxed about anything at every other position. I think we're actually okay. We could be greedy and say, yes, okay, we need another central midfielder. Yes, maybe another goalkeeper. But that's if we're being greedy. I don't think we need to be greedy. Um, and I've probably even missed out a couple of players there as well. I've not thought about it. If, if, we, if we decided we needed a winger, or here's one. If they decide that Lihadji is a striker, not a winger, we could actually recall Jack Diamond, who is playing out of his skin this season. So there's an, another option that actually is still a Sunderland player. So it's only really a striker I think we need, and I think we need two. 
It, it it sort of depends on how seriously we are actually taking a promotion push, doesn't it? Because at this stage you could go, well, it ain't going to take a great amount to, to to sort of move from where we are currently to being, you know, a, a team who even finishes maybe fourth or fifth. But that would require maybe a little bit of a little bit of money just to bring in players that we wouldn't ordinarily target. To be honest, I think actually because everything's been so good in terms of results and performances and the style of football and stuff, it's probably masked over which what what has been a, a really big problem, which has been our injuries. We've had injuries all season to key players and we've just got on with it. We found ways around it. Even in the game against Fulham, we brought on, um, I, th- I think, uh, you know, with Stuart going off, we had no striker on the bench apart from, I think maybe one of the teenagers on the bench was a forward. We just got on with it. We we moved Ahmad and Clarkmore centrally. Bar came on and played sort of to the left of the midfield. And we got on with it and we still look good. And maybe maybe that hasn't always, it probably hasn't helped Tony Mowbray's case when he's asking for more players. Because, you know, the the lads we've got are just, they're, they're doing a job regardless of what we throw at way and, and at the players' way. So I, I wonder if... That maybe there's going to be an honest conversation sort of today, tomorrow about how much do we really want to get promoted, and that probably feeds into the mainly with the strikers. To be honest, do we just bring in lads on loan to cover for Stuart's absence, and one of them would probably be Sims, or do we push the boat out a little bit? Do we spend a little bit of money on a player, maybe from abroad? We we might have just been looking at for the summer, or maybe one down the road, or we maybe aren't too sure about. Is it is is this now the time? to the gamble because we to be honest they haven't really gambled when it comes to transfers they've they've just sort of they've been very like you've just said very calm very cool and collected the deals we've made have been to be honest in large part bargains we've we've signed a lot of really good players for the way the deals have been structured it's unlike anything we've done recently you know and it just i do wonder are they are they maybe a little bit tempted to just push the boat out on one or two players yeah, they they could be. I mean, Mowbray has always said that he was under no pressure to kind of make the playoffs or get promoted this season. And I don't think that has ever kind of been the... Like last season when Alex Neal came in, it was get us promoted. And he did it, right? This season, the pressure wasn't there. But I, I get what you're saying. At the end of January, we're just outside the playoffs. Um, a good run would see us go into them. A bad run would see us drop right back down. I mean, going into that Middlesbrough game, I think we were 12th. Yeah. We won the game and we were one point off the playoffs. That's how tight it is. It's so tight, So yeah. I see what you mean, but if... I, I, I can't see them saying, I don't think that this is the time where we... I, I don't think that they will think, sorry, that this is the time that we really need that push. I think if we were third, a couple of points off the top two, and we need a push to get into the automatics or to cement ourselves in the playoffs, that might be the time that we do that. I think right now, I think they're probably quite comfortable thinking, oh, we're doing well, a good run, and we might make the playoffs anyway. Um, there's still a couple of days in the transfer window where we're trying to do things anyway. I can't see that happening now. What's your gut feeling then in terms of the how deadline day is going to play out, how things are going to go? What's your gut feeling telling you? Gut feeling, and it is only a gut feeling, is that Sims will be back. And that's just purely because I think Deitch will have been promised a striker going in at Everton. It's interesting we've left the number nine shirt available, isn't it? Good, good. 
And I actually do think that there will be another, but I think it will be a loan. And the issue with a loan is clubs want their loanees to actually play. And if we're, I'm saying that, well, if Sims and Gelhart are on loan, they're both going to be wanting to play. If we get a third striker on loan, I think it's going to have to be someone who accepts that they're coming in as a backup, which is going to be quite hard. That That's a difficulty. But mm. there may be a, a player out there kind of like a Lee Hadji or like a, a bar who can't break into their first team and are available for a cheap price with a sell-on. I think that could be potentially as well. I don't think we'll be going to spend a lot of money on a striker because that's not the way we do things full stop. So my gut feeling is there will be a lone striker, hopefully Sims, and another striker, but it will be somebody who is not going to be that much money, but may well give the selling club some money down the line. That's my gut feeling. Yeah, and and and... Me too. Obviously, I think obviously this. If if we do sign this lad from Everton, the centre half, in terms of outgoings, probably only Bailey Wright, isn't it? I think now, or is it? I would say so. Maybe an outsider. I don't know. I don't know why you look at. Obviously, if we we've strengthened out wide, maybe Bennett could go out somewhere. I don't know. It, it, there there are a couple of ones where I'm a bit. I'm humming and hawing. I could I could see benefit and maybe letting them go and play a game somewhere else. But then the club might be looking at it and thinking, no, no, we need to keep them around. We need to. Just let them get used to being in this in this environment, really, and maybe reassess in the summer. I could see Huggins going out on loan if he's fit enough to do so. It might be best that he's, he stays with our medical team and has a bit part between now and the end of the season. So I could see that happening with them, with Huggins. With Bennett, I think at the moment, when I listed the wingers there, given that if we don't bring in a forward, if Lihadji or Diallo or Roberts, if they have to play up front, or Clark, if they have to play up front, then we're going to need Bennett. So I'd be surprised if he goes. Mm. But if he if if he goes without being replaced, it's it's different when you've got Embleton there because he can play in so many different positions. He can play normal central midfielder. He can play number ten. He can play right wing. He can play left wing. But he's injured. So I would be surprised if Bennett went unless he was replaced. Well, let's hope it's a nice day for some. We don't have any surprises. Anybody throwing us off and taking our best players. I can't say that happening, to be honest. Well, well, well we're, we're not going to lose Stuart now. That's that's one thing <laughs> yeah. to think about. We're not yeah. we're not going to lose lose Stuart this month. Don't know about the summer. Um, we'll have to wait and see and hopefully he'll sign a new contract and we'd all be delighted if he did and and hopefully also we can um, get Chris Rigg tied, I don't want to use the word tied down because that suggests he doesn't want to be here. But um, <laughs> Nah, I saw him patting the badge. <laughs> He's a Macron. Yeah, well, <laughs> yeah, I, I, I wouldn't read too much into uh, patting or kissing the bag. But also, when, when I went through the list of central midfielders there saying that we might need one more, actually, I didn't mention Chris Rigg there, and he has actually been on the bench. He has featured, he's, he's come on in the two FA Cup games yeah, yeah. so far. So that, that's an, another player there who can come in, and sometimes giving a player a chance like that because of injuries or suspension can be the making of their career. I'm not saying that for him because he's only 15 years old, but that is actually another player. Yeah, 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 and and he was fantastic again when he came on. Done, done himself uh, proud. I would say, you know, ran around, worked really hard, won won us the ball back. Obviously, we haven't even mentioned it really, but that scoring that goal, I'm gutted. It, um, I'm just so gutted. I actually fell to the floor. <laughs> that's how. That's how much I. I just couldn't believe what I was watching. I like, got scored, and then yeah, obviously 
Offside flag went ev- up. Ev- I think everybody, I think, you know what, I think there were probably even some Fulham fans who felt sorry for him. Yeah, yeah. You know, because that, that was some moment. There was, you know, The headlines were written, pro- weren't there? Yeah. Yeah, there's probably only Newcastle fans who, who weren't happy about it, who, who probably were happy about it, to be honest with you, because it was just, it would have been some moment. It would, it would have had, it would have been back page. It actually would have been back page. Yeah, well, it, it, it still was big news, though. The, I mean, they made a big deal out of it on Match of the Day and it was on all the news coverage. Um, around yeah. the FA Cup on Saturday, so it, it what a big deal was made of it because it is still a big story, you know, and uh, just him playing. Even I think it, I think they said it would have been the he would have been the youngest ever FA Cup goal scorer. So oh, what a shame! I know, I know, what but um, never mind, never mind. But yeah, let's hope that uh, deadline day is a, a good one for Sun. And when people catch you on deadline day, Tom Way, where, where are you going to be? Deadline day, good morning transfers, nine till ten. Um, that's so. That's the only hour that I'm on air. Deadline day, I will be working non-stop all the way until the deadline, but on air nine till ten. Good morning transfers, and then after the deadline day, back to my good morning sports fans, seven a.m. till ten a.m. And Saturdays, soccer. Uh, sorry, Sundays, soccer Sundays, midday till three, which is as soon as I get off this chat with you, I am going straight to go and see the guests and uh, get ready to go on air. Well, good luck. Good luck. Let's hope uh, it's a good deadline day for you, good deadline day for Sunland. And uh, cheers for joining us, mate. Appreciate it. Always a pleasure, anytime. Thank you very much. Thanks to the listeners. You can catch, as always, rotorreport.espionation.com, all of our written content over on the website. Um, and we might go live on deadline day on Twitter, so keep an eye out for that. And, uh, yeah, thank you very much for joining us. We'll catch you later. Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact, you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app, you can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with code PROGRAM for a 4-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's stamps.com. Code program.